0: Let me add my welcome to you. Good to be with you, good to see you, particularly if you are visiting this morning. And as we have heard already, we are continuing through our series in Psalm 22. <clears throat> and maybe you wonder, why are we looking at a psalm leading up to Easter? Well, because clearly we see in this psalm a prophecy foreshadow of the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus words that he says on the cross, the description of his suffering and his death is there for us. And so we're zooming in for five weeks on this psalm. And we're halfway through verses 11 to 21 today. And um, so we're going to get into that. But for a moment, let's just pause and pray. Lord, as we come to your word right now, Father, prepare our hearts, <clears throat> help us to hear from you. We want you to speak to us through your word. We'll remove all distractions from us, from our minds. Help us to see Jesus, particularly in his suffering and his death, his death that was done for us. We've already been thinking about those who Suffer because of what you had done for us, Lord, too, may we think and remember them as we look through this psalm. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a young 14-year-old girl from Uganda who one day had a, a preacher come to her school to preach the gospel, to tell all her classmates about Jesus. And there and then, she heard the gospel, she gave her life to Jesus, as she heard about this man who'd come to die for her sins. Her father was a strict follower of another religion, and when he found out what happened to his daughter, he was furious. And he dragged Susan and her brother out of the house, he held a knife to her throat And said, if you don't stop following Jesus, if you don't stop going to church, I will kill you and your brother. But Susan didn't stop. Her father took her to an empty room in the house, placed a mat on the floor, said sit on the mat and don't move until you're willing to deny Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. Then he left, walked out the room, locked the door and didn't return for three days. Months. The only way Susan survived was that while her father was away, her brother would dig a hole under the door, fill the hole with water so she could lap it up. Occasionally, he managed to find some slices of banana to post under the door. After three months, the neighbors got suspicious and wondered where Susan was. So they asked her brother, and he told them everything. Immediately they called the police And the police rushed to the house To find out what was going on They came to the room And there they found Susan Sitting On the mat She was alive But only just Her legs had begun to grow In conformity to the way that she was sitting And she weighed just 20 kilograms That's three stone Why? Why would she do that? Why would she be willing to remain on the mat to stand up for this man Jesus rather than get up and save her life? Well, when asked why she didn't try to escape, she said, my father said, if I left the mat, I would be denying Jesus. And I could never do that. I decided not to leave him because he had given me eternal life. And even if I died there on the mat, I was sure I would go to him. She'd heard about Jesus, all that he had done for her in dying on the cross, taking her sin, taking the wrath of God, offering her forgiveness, offering her eternal life. Jesus suffered much upon the cross to death. And she, in following Jesus, was willing to die too. And this story of this girl is just one of many hundreds and thousands of stories that we could tell of people all around the world, throughout history, who have given their lives for the gospel, for the sake of Jesus Christ. People who have been given the chance to deny Christ, to live, to save their lives, but people who knew that this life is not all there is, that Jesus is more important. And so as we look at this middle section of Psalm 22, we've heard the words read and we certainly see such deep descriptions of terrible physical (coughs) pain and suffering and mental pain and anguish and temptation. And we certainly do see an Old Testament prophetic description of the suffering and the death of Jesus. But as we read through the whole of the psalm, we see that it's not just a prophecy of Jesus but it's, it's a prayer David is praying, he's crying out to God, he's seeking God's help, he sends up a plea longing for salvation and although we may never experience such suffering like this, such persecution certainly the moment we've heard already there are hundreds and thousands and millions of people brothers and sisters in Christ who do so let's look at Jesus. Let's thank him for his death. But let's also think and pray for those who, in following Jesus, give their lives too. So where are we? Verses 1 to 10, we've looked at so far. This repeating cry of, of anguish and distress and trouble mixed with the trust and the hope in Jesus. You've seen David and then ultimately Jesus suffering, forsakenness and and scorn, and mockery, and yet holding on also to the truth of God, remembering who God is, remembering his faithfulness, and trusting in him. And so it's in the light of of David's situation, of Christ's situation, of the suffering, but knowing who God is, that he cries out to him. He sends up his plea there in verse 11. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, there's no one to help. And then he repeats it later on from verse 19. So, at both ends of our passage this morning, we've got this prayer, David's plea. And we will look at that in a moment. But firstly, I want us to look at the middle section, where we meet the persecutors, those who are putting the suffering upon the Christians and David and Christ. I want us to see them. Then I want us to see the persecuted, those who are experiencing the suffering. So firstly, the persecutors. Look at verse 12. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions that tear their prey open, tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. Then he comes back to them in verse 16 and he says, dogs that surround, a pack of villains that encircle him. Here we see something of the nature, the nature of those who are persecuting. They're described as vicious animals, wild beasts, animals that are praying their, 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 their food, hunting for those they want to eat. You have the bulls and the lions and the wild dogs, the bulls of Bashan. Well, Bashan was a, a fertile region east of the River Jordan, famous for its cattle, strong, mighty cattle that were powerful. So David's given this impression that his enemies are, are like that. They're big, they're powerful, they're, they're vicious. They're out to kill. Not only that, but they're, they're enemies that work in packs and they, they hunt together, ganging up together. The larger the number, the better they're able to get their prey. They encircle the psalmist. They offer him no escape. They move in closer and closer. The lion's jaws come to grab the prey, clamp down the victim so the others can kill. If you ever watch wildlife programs then I'm sure you've seen these sorts of scenes on TV wolves and hyenas are particularly good for this That poor helpless calf has been separated from the herd and is killed for food David he is using this as a description of what he's experiencing and and Jesus too is all his enemies are surrounding him and closing against him he can smell their hatred You can hear their taunts as they move in closer for the kill. And we can think of Jesus, can't we? We can think of his trial. The crowd surrounding him shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! The Roman soldiers mocking Jesus, hurling insults at him. It seems that everybody in the world is against him. No one wants him to live, no one wants him to survive. Those who do are are fled in fear or are too weak and helpless to do anything about it. The nature of the persecutors, those who hate. But then we also see their behavior. They encircle, they come in. But more than that, they, as David says, they pierce my hands and feet. All my bones are on display, verse 17. People stare and gloat. They divide my clothes among themselves and cast lots for my garments. Does that ring any bells? What is David saying if he's not foreseeing the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus? There he is, nailed to the cross, his hands and feet pierced. Crucifixions didn't exist in David's day. He wouldn't have known what he was describing. But as we see Jesus hanging on the cross, naked, weak, helpless, people staring, gloating over him, here is he who calls himself the Son of God. Look at him now, humiliated, nailed to a cross. If you have a Bible, why don't you quickly flick over to Luke's Gospel, 23, verses 35. <clears throat> Luke 23:35 The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, "He saves others? Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one." The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, "If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself." Verse 39 One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. See, Jesus, for all of these people, was, was bad news. They hated him. They didn't like what he stood for, what he believed, what he proclaimed. They thought he was wrong. They thought he was of the devil. He was weak and foolish. And so what do you do with such things? Well, you get rid of them. You trample them down. You, you make sure that they can't come back. And so this is how they treated Jesus in the physical and the mental torture and suffering that they put him through. And as we see Jesus dying upon the cross, the psalmist predicts, verse 18, he says, they divide my clothes among themselves, this is back in Psalm 22, and they cast lots for my garment. Again, it rings bells, all four gospel accounts show us this. Now, it was the Roman soldiers that crucified Jesus to the cross. It was the Jewish leaders that handed him over to the Romans. But in one way, we are all there, gathered around the cross that day. We are all stood, mocking, hurling insults at Jesus as he dies. Because that is a description of sin. Looking in the face of the one who created us, who loves us, laughing and mocking and saying, thanks, but no thanks. And there we see Jesus at the hands of the very people he came to save, dying. Dying for them, dying for us, dying for you. I don't know you, I don't know if you, Any of you would not call yourselves a Christian this morning. Maybe you're thinking about these things. Maybe you're in opposition to these things. But I hope this morning as we look and we see this description written many, many years before of the crucifixion, the death of Jesus, this death is not just any ordinary death in history, but the greatest event the world has ever known. Because there at the cross, Jesus just doesn't die a normal death. But he dies a death for the world's sin. He dies a death for you, to take your sin, to offer you forgiveness. And so we see the persecuted, the persecutors. Now let's look at the persecuted. Read with me from verse 14. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax. It is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. And so, at the heart, of this passage, we have the suffering, the death of Jesus. We see his physical suffering being poured out like water. You get that, that image of a, a jug; as you tip the jug, the water slowly pours out, and drop by drop, it disappears until let, you're left with an empty, dry jar. Picture Jesus' body being beaten and being whipped. Him walking through the streets of Jerusalem, carrying the wooden cross on his shoulders. And then nailed to it, hung up upon that hill. Jesus wasted away. His strength, his energy, his very life, gone. Poured out to death. All his bones are out of joint. My, my bones are on display. Again, That just a picture, physical picture of, of complete weakness. And, and then nothing left being wasted away. Whether Jesus did experience dislocation, we don't know. But you can imagine that he probably did from all his beatings. And then David turns to the heart and to what's going on within him and in his mind. My heart turns to wax and it melts within me. The heart, the center of him as a person, that, that seat of courage, of life. If you experience that heart-wrenching pain right here in the chest, That blow of devastation, the experience of suffering, of loss, you feel your heart sink. It's like it has melted away. And there is Jesus, suffering physically in the pain and suffering mentally as he sees the people he loves mocking him and insulting him. And more as as he has the weight of sin upon his shoulders, the judgment of God upon him. His mouth, his dry, his tongue stick to the roof of his mouth. I'm thirsty, Jesus cries on the cross, John 19. And then he says, you lay me down in the dust of death. And finally Jesus gives up his life as he dies. He says, you lay me down in the dust. David's praying to God, he's talking to God. Jesus there says, you lay me down in the dust. Yes, Jesus is suffering at the hands of those who are more powerful than him, of his enemies, those who crucify him. But ultimately, it is God. Jesus' willing death in our place is God's just and righteous punishment for sin. It had to happen. It had to happen to save us from our sins. There was no other way. And so Jesus willingly stood in our place and died for us. And so we can begin to think and understand why there are many in our world who, in following Jesus, are willing to give their lives. Because he gave his life for them. The persecutors and the persecuted, they all exist in our world today still. And we could spend all day telling stories, sharing prayer requests of those who. Who are in suffering and are in need. We've heard already this morning those who suffer. It's reckoned that between 1 and 200 million Christians are being persecuted for their faith. This month alone, 300 will die. 200 churches will be crushed and broken down. And over 700 forms of violence will be committed upon Christians as they suffer. As they're rejected, disowned, beaten, imprisoned, tortured, and killed for the gospel. Over 60 countries in our world are on what they call the persecuted watch list. Places like North Korea, Somalia, Iraq, Syria, and many, many more. And we can come back to the question why? Jesus said, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 24 that you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. All nations will hate you. All nations will hate us if we follow Christ. Why? Because there is only one God. The God of our Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And all of the gods are enemies, are hostile. I want to kill him. I want to get rid of him. They're aggressive against anyone who converts to Christianity. They're aggressive to anyone who seeks to evangelise people, to bring them into Christianity. If you look at the places in our world which are persecuted the most, it's those where in that country there is a foreign religion, other than Christianity, that rules. Or it's a country that is extremely atheistic. And so we think our country is not a Christian country. Atheism is growing. And so how long will it be? How long will it be before we experience a significant increase in persecution? Because we're Christians. We see the nature, the behaviour of those who hate God, hate Jesus, and therefore hate us. When I worked in London, I met a student from a Middle Eastern country. He was studying in London for a year. And while he was here, he became a Christian. And he came to me one day and said, well, he was very fearful about going home, knowing that he would be doing so in the summer. And so we, we talked And I was honest with him about the possibilities of things he may experience. And I said, You're going to have to make a decision. Will you stand up for your faith or will you deny it? The student returned home. His family found out that he had become a Christian. And so they hunted him down. And they chased him all the way to the airport where eventually he managed to get a flight back to the UK. Thankfully, those of us who knew him could testify to his um, appeal for asylum, and he now resides here in safety. These are the sorts of things that Christians go through because they're not prepared to deny Jesus, because he wasn't prepared to deny them. Jesus could have got down apart from that cross. He easily could have got down and defeated all those who are around him. But he knew if he did that, we would still be in our sins. And so he willingly went through it. And so finally, what about us? What can we do? We can pray. We can pray for ourselves that in any suffering and opposition that we face, that we would have the strength to stand up for Christ. And of course, we can pray for the many who suffer around the world. Read with me from verse 19. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of lions Save me from the horns of the wild oxen David sees his desperate need His horrendous situation There's nothing he can do And he cries out to God He sends up his plea for mercy Do not be far from me For trouble is near And there's no one to help There is no one there At the cross Jesus is alone He's been completely abandoned by everybody No one is strong enough to defeat the enemies. No one is there to even try. He's outnumbered. And so he knows his only hope is in God. The one who can help. The one who can sustain him. And the one who can save him. Who can sustain him and save him. Let's look at those. He prays for strength, for endurance. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. The psalmist cries. David and Jesus and all those who experience suffering physically and mentally, they're in need. They're in need of great strength. Strength to endure the suffering. Strength to cope with any any physical torture that they're put through. Strength to cope with the temptation to give up. Strength to withstand the taunts and the mockings and the rejection. Think of Susan on that mat for three months With nothing but her thoughts to keep her company As her body weakens and wastes away As the temptations to to give up and get up Play through her mind How did she survive? Well apart from the water and the bananas She must have prayed, wasn't she? Crying out to God to help her, to sustain her To keep her alive To give her strength to trust in him to keep going even to death, knowing all that he has planned for her, that even if she dies on that mat, it's not the end. That's what kept her going, her strength in the Lord, in his promises, in what he had done for her, knowing that he had not abandoned her on that mat, that he was with her right there by her side. And as she suffered with him, as she suffered, he was with her. And as Christians we will suffer and we're not to be surprised that we will suffer. Peter says in his first letter, in chapter four, he says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And as we follow Christ, we look to Christ. He who earlier on in, in Peter's letter says, we do this because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. And by his wounds, you have been healed. And so the first thing we can do is pray, is pray for strength, for endurance. Let's do that for those who suffer around the world. Let's pray for the persecuted church. Let's have it high on our agenda, because this is not something that happens every so often. It's a daily experience for these people. There are many charities and organisations that seek to help those in persecuted countries and you can find out about them. Let's give it a focus in our prayer meetings. Give it a focus in your daily devotion. Pray for something each day. Let's remember our brothers and sisters in Christ, part of the family together who suffer. Let's remember them and pray for them. Pray that God would sustain them and help them to endure. But let's also pray for God's salvation. Read Psalm 22, verses 20 and 21. The psalmist says, Deliver me from the sword. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. My precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. Today, day longing for salvation. Salvation from the sword, from death, from the power of those who have encircled him and ganged up against him. Salvation that he may escape all these things. And whatever situation David is experiencing here, maybe he did find that salvation from his enemies. But we know if Jesus quoted these words, he didn't find salvation from his cross. He suffered all the way to death. But we do know that he did find salvation through his suffering But God raised him from the dead on that third day. And so as we think of those who suffer, let's pray for their salvation. Let's pray that they will be released from prison. They'll be released from their pain and their torture. But there will be those who will not be released. There will be those who will give up their lives. And so when we pray for their salvation, we are praying that God would bring them through even in death, that he bring them to heaven, to eternal life, to be with him, which is far better. We can pray that God would save those who are persecuted. But even more than that, let's pray for the persecutors, those who do the persecuting. Let's pray that through the suffering of those Christians, as they bear witness to Christ, by willing to give their lives, let's pray that that is a witness to those who put the suffering upon them, that they would be convicted of sin, that they would come to Christ. I love the story told by John Piper in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, a book about mission. There's no time to read it all to you, but let me summarize it. There was a a man called Joseph who was from a remote African village and he walked along a dusty path one day and he met somebody who told him the gospel. And he was amazed by this and he gave his life to the Lord there and then. And he was so excited about what Christ had done to him, he went back to his village to tell his friends and his family all that Christ had done. And as he did, and as he stood, going from door to door, he told people about Jesus, expecting them to be happy and to join him in, in salvation Well, the men seized him and the women beat him with barbed wire. They dragged him out of the village and left him to die in the bush. Joseph suffered terribly day in and out of consciousness. And when he came to, he thought, what did I say wrong? Did I miss something out of the gospel? I don't understand why people didn't come to Christ. So he went back. And as he stood in the circle of the huts, he preached Christ. <clears throat> the men seized him again, and the women beat him, reopening the wounds that they'd inflicted the first time. <clears throat> they dragged him out of, the, out of the village, surely this time to die. Well, for him to survive the first beating was amazing. For the second, a miracle. And so a third time determined, <clears throat> he went back into the village even before he got there the men seized him and the women beat him and the last thing Joseph remembers before losing consciousness is the women crying as they beat him the next thing he knows is he's lying in his own bed being nursed by the very women who beat him the entire village had come to Christ Through the prayers for strength and energy to sustain, to trust Christ even to death, may God use such suffering to bring great salvation. May it be our prayers that there is great salvation, that those who hate him, that those who hate us, will be convicted of their sin as they see Christ in us. China, a country that has seen great increase of Christians. Why? Because people have seen those who've been willing to suffer for Christ. And say, so what about you? What about us? In times of suffering and persecution, when it comes, if it comes, what will we do? Will we take up our cross? Will we be willing to suffer whatever may come our way? To stand firm. Let's pray that we will have the strength and the courage. And let's pray that through our witness, many would come to Christ as they see him through us. Amen.